Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. It's me, your host, Michael Schaefer. Let's get into it. Lots of news this week. First, we have to wish a happy birthday to US President Joe Biden. Just this week, he celebrated his 132nd birthday. It's very, very impressive. He took to social media. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Check out Joe Biden's Instagram page or Twitter page. He's posted a photo of him celebrating his birthday with a birthday cake. And atop the birthday cake are all the candles. Each candle symbolizing one year in which he has been alive. And I joke, he's not 132 years old. He's 81 years old. And when you put 81 candles on top of a cake and then light them all on fire simultaneously, it becomes a real fire hazard, I have to say. The photograph is so funny. It's it's almost designed for people on the internet to mock and ridicule and make jokes about. For a man who claims to be supportive of the environment who and who is very keen to combat global warming, I really feel like he set back the cause decades with this birthday cake celebration. You know, scientists are always saying we have to stop the earth from warming two degrees. If the earth warms two degrees and everything falls apart, there's no going back after a two degree increase in the world's temperature. And I can't help but feel like Biden's birthday cake might have sent us over the edge. If you are in a place right now where it is unseasonably warm, there is a good chance that the heat emanating from these 81 candles is what you are experiencing right now. It's the funniest photo because you know that there is a smoke alarm going off somewhere in the White House while the photo is being taken. He's sitting there at the table, the cake's on fire, He's smiling, which is a wonderful metaphor for the world, for America, for Israel and Palestine. The world is on fire and Joe Biden is sitting there smiling for a PR photo. There's a fire alarm going off in the background. You know that there is an assistant holding the end of a broomstick somewhere just out of frame, hitting this fire alarm, trying to get it to shut up. Joe Biden obviously can't hear it because he's 81 years old. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know why the cake is on fire. But he is enjoying the heat that is emanating from this cake that is akin to experiencing the heat at the surface of the sun. Happy birthday to Joe Biden. I will say that the right-wing talking point that Joe Biden is too old to run for president... I know it's like a right-wing propaganda point that Fox News and all these other conservative media outlets are constantly putting out into the world, and I know it serves their own political agenda, but it is the one talking point that they bring up that I 100% agree with. The man is so, so old. Why, Why are they making him do this? Let the man die. Why are they making him run for president again. Let the man die. 
He's 81 years old and he looks 145. Let him go. Surely Trump being president is better than Joe Biden not knowing where he is. Like, surely it can't be much worse. I know that Trump is a psychopath and he's a narcissist and he's insane, but he does seem to know where he is sometimes. Whereas Joe Biden looks into the flames that emanate off the cake and he must think that he's in hell. He must think, I've made some terrible decisions. I should have called for a ceasefire. And now here I am in the depths of hell. Let the man die. Don't make him run for president again. It's sad. Big news here in the UK at the moment. The big controversy in the UK right now. I know that many of my listeners are from Australia, but... This story in the UK I find very interesting because I'm a Celebrity UK has just commenced its latest season and Nigel Farage is one of the contestants on the show. If you don't remember who Nigel Farage is, he's the old white British dude who campaigned really hard for Brexit. So he was the leader of the... UK Independence Party for a period of time and he campaigned very hard for Britain to leave the EU mostly by stoking fear of immigrants and lying about how much of a drain they were on the economy. Cut to a few years later he's now a contestant on I'm a Celebrity UK and people are upset about this so people who hate Nigel Farage have launched a boycott campaign saying, don't watch I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here. They're they're endorsing Nigel Farage by having having him on the show. They're paying him money to be on the show, boycott the show. Look, I understand that sentiment. I understand the anger that they must feel when they see a guy who is, uh, who's caused so much damage, at least in their minds, to the country and to the world and to Europe. When they see a man like that, uh, I guess, being normalized and being uh, celebrated and being put on national TV, I get that anger and I get where that comes from. But if you hate Nigel Farage, you should be thrilled to see this man on I'm a Celebrity UK because it's really a show where they just torture celebrities. If you've ever tuned into the show, they put them into boxes and put spiders and snakes all over them and then they have to swim underwater with baby crocodiles and then they have to eat bull's testicles every week it's not a fun show to be on so i think it's brilliant casting from the people who produce this show because if you like nigel farage and you find him entertaining then you're going to tune in to see what he's like in the jungle and if you hate Nigel Farage you'll also tune in because you want to see the man suffer you want to see the man throw up as he chokes on some witchy grubs so I think it's actually brilliant casting and I think it, it, it basically plays both sides of the audience 
I think everyone should be tuning in. It is just another example, though, of, I'm not going to say evil, but controversial politicians using reality TV to rehabilitate their image, shall we say. We saw it a few years ago when Sean Spicer, the former media spokesperson for the Trump administration, he was the one, if you don't remember, he was the guy who made a name for himself by in his very first press conference attacking the media for claiming that Trump's inauguration wasn't well attended. So he was the guy who became famous by starting his job with photographs of the Trump inauguration and comparing it to the Obama inauguration and just in a very petty manner making the claim that Trump's inauguration was actually well attended when you consider the TV audience as well was pretty high for the time. And look, the reason why the Trump inauguration was watched quite a lot on TV was because I think most people were hoping for an assassination. Most people were tuning in and being like, well, if there's going to be an assassination, surely it's going to be at the inauguration. Unfortunately for those people, Trump spent the entire inauguration sitting behind bulletproof glass because he's like, I saw what the CIA did to JFK. They're not getting to me. I'm sitting behind some bulletproof glass. So I think that's probably why so many people tuned into the Trump inauguration. Nonetheless, Sean Spicer made a name for himself by launching his career in the media by making that the hill that he wanted to die on, the the grassy knoll that he wanted to die on was that point. And of course, he went on to become just a whipping boy for the liberal media who mocked him relentlessly for being inarticulate and not knowing things and just being a Trump loyalist to to the nth degree. And after he, I think he lost his job, he was fired or whatever. He took a bit of time away from the public spotlight. And then he comes back on Dancing with the Stars US. What a, what a change. I mean, this guy used to be the chief propagandist for the Trump administration. And then the next thing you know, he's doing the cha-cha in prime time. And that's because reality TV has this incredible capacity to make someone look human and normal and regular. So if you if you have been cancelled, just give it a couple of years and just go on maths or something and... All of a sudden, people will forget all the awful things you did. Pauline Hansen in Australia did the same thing. This was the lady who, of course, made a name for herself by stoking fear of immigrants and exploiting xenophobia around the country to launch her political career. And then she went to jail for some sort of fraud or campaign contribution issue. She comes out of jail and then... She's like, well, I want to get back into politics. What's the step back into politics? Oh, I'm going to go on Dancing with the Stars Australia. And so she did. And then, and she was pretty good as well. And people thought, well, I guess if Pauline can do the tango, let's get her back in the Senate. We need to have that type of agility 
on the Senate floor. My point is that Nigel Farage, Sean Spicer, Pauline Hanson, they all understand the power of reality TV. So if you're a controversial figure, if you're a, a cancelled person, there is always the chance that you could go on something like Dancing with the Stars and people will forgive you. Cosby, I know that Bill Cosby has lost a lot of his uh, fans and supporters over the last few years, you know, because of the raping. I think, unfortunately for him, he's probably too old to do Dancing with the Stars, considering he's now wheelchair-bound. However, maybe he could be on maths. Maybe he could be on maths. Maybe he could be in the first episode, say, it's, oh, it's, I'm so excited to be on this show. I can't wait to share a drink with my new wife. And then they'll be like, maybe don't offer your new wife a drink. And he'll be like, <laughs> and, you know, but my point is everyone has a chance at rehabilitating themselves using the power of reality TV. The show I'm a Celebrity does upset me a little bit because I don't think it executes what it sets out to do because the show's premise is we are going to expose famous people to their greatest fear that's the premise we're if you've got fears we're going to expose you to those fears and then we're going to film it for tv because everyone likes to see another person having a bad time for example nigel farage eating some bull's testicles However, what upsets me about the premise of that show is that it is very superficial because they presume that a celebrity's greatest fear is snakes and spiders, which is very shallow. And that might have been the case decades ago, but not anymore. It's now, it's 2023. A celebrity's greatest fear is losing followers. That is their number one fear. If you are a celebrity, all you are doing is trying to maintain the number of people who follow you on Instagram, or if ideally, grow the number of people who follow you on Instagram. That's all you're trying to do. So really, if they wanted to test celebrities' greatest fears, they wouldn't say to them, hey, hold this snake. Instead, they'll be like, hey, hold this phone and tweet, I stand with Israel. Because that is one way of losing followers. Alternatively, get them to tweet, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Either way, they're going to shit their pants and say, I'll take the spider. I'll take the snake. I will swim through shark infested waters before I post anything on social media that supports one side in this conflict because I'm not a fucking moron. Of course, the Israel-Palestine conflict does wage on, and I've said this over the last couple of weeks, this is almost as much a PR war as it is a war war. And God, Israel is so bad at the PR war. They are so bad at presenting their side of how things are going in this war, which I got to say, as a Jewish person, is kind of nice because it does debunk 
the conspiracy theory, the anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that Jewish people control the media. Because it's become quite apparent over the last seven weeks that Jewish people do not control the media. Because if you consume the media, you'll see how bad Israel is looking in this war. And in contrast, how good Hamas is looking in comparison, which is crazy because everyone kind of accepts that Hamas is definitely a terrorist organization. That kind of goes without saying pretty much. And yet somehow they are looking better than the Israeli military when you consume social media because the Israeli military is so bad at getting their message across. Right now, they have seized control of a hospital in Gaza called Al-Shifa. And the reason why they say they have seized control of this hospital is because they claim that underneath the hospital is a Hamas command center, that there are all these interconnected tunnels underneath the hospital. And as a result, they had to go in there, they had to shut it down, which of course forced all these critically ill patients to be evacuated many of whom would have died in the process. It's an awful, awful thing that the Israeli government, in their defense, they say they had to do it to dismantle this Hamas terror cell. And so they take over the hospital and they're filming themselves for the international media, taking over the hospital and saying, hey, we had to do this because this is a Hamas command center. And the only evidence that they can show that it is a Hamas command center is they have found like a whole in the ground at the hospital. And they say, well, this hole in the ground leads to a bunch of tunnels. And in the tunnels is where Hamas is, you know, commanding their attacks. And every media outlet is like, oh, cool, that's great, you found the hole. But what's, like, what's in the hole? And all the Israeli soldiers and media spokespeople are saying, well, we haven't gone down yet because, you know, it might be booby traps. There could be, uh, risks and dangers down there. It's going to take us time to get down there. And the media's like, oh, okay, cool. That's fair enough. That's reasonable. But that's not evidence that there's a Hamas control center underneath the hospital. And Israel is like, no, what else could it be? And the media is like, I mean, look, that's true. There's, there, it, it might be a Hamas control center, but we don't know yet. Meanwhile, the, all the footage that's coming out of Gaza is just footage of children, innocent people being blown up and being blown to pieces. And the way that Israel is combating that is by showing a video of a hole in the ground. Guys, this is a PR war. You're going to have to show some Hamas shit in order to justify everything you're doing to the international media. If you care about what the international media thinks, you have to show them more than just a hole in the ground. And then they was walking around the hospital showing calendars around the hospital that had the days of the week list on the calendars. And an IDF spokesperson is saying the calendars list the names of the terrorists who were here at the time. And people zoomed in on the calendars and they said, well, I don't think that's the case because the calendars are just saying... They're, in Arabic, they just say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I don't think those are popular names in Gaza. I think 
the calendar just has the names of the days of the week. These aren't names of people. And then in another video, they're walking around a room in the hospital and there's a drape over a wall in the hospital and they point to the drape and go, well, you can tell that a hostage was kept here because they put a drape over the wall so they could film a hostage video with that plain drape behind them. I'm like, maybe, maybe that's what they did. But also maybe someone was just doing a bit of redecorating. Maybe someone just thought the feng shui is a bit off in this meeting room. Let's get a drape up on the wall in order. It's a bit of a cheap fix, a cheap way of renovating the room. I'm not saying that Israel doesn't have any justification for taking over the Al-Shifa hospital. And it might well be that there is a Hamas command center underneath that hospital. But you've got to be better at the PR, Israel. This is a PR war You've got to make sure that you're across the P. You've got to show the bad shit that Hamas is doing. You've got to explain to the world why you're doing this. You've got to combat all of the propaganda that Hamas is putting out. They've got dead Palestinian children in the streets. They've got thousands of children who are dead. Of course, that is going to win over the hearts and minds of the public who are viewing this war. It's awful. It's tragic. It's it's so upsetting to, to watch. And then Israel is like, well, do you think that looks bad? We got a hole in the ground. I just think they have to show more in order to win this PR battle. It's going so badly for them that people on TikTok, Generation Z on TikTok, are now have become fans of Osama bin Laden over the last week. Would you believe it that Osama bin Laden is having a renaissance amongst Gen Z? So what has happened over the past week is this essay that Osama bin Laden wrote after the 9-11 attacks, or maybe it was before. It was in the context of the 9-11 attacks. He wrote this letter that was published you know, in lots of newspapers and online called Letter to America. And in this Letter to America... He basically explains the motivations for 9-11 and he explains why he devised the plan and why they blew up the Twin Towers. That's what he says in this letter. And of course, it's terrorist propaganda. Of course, it's a way for him to morally justify the brutal killing of, you know, over of 3,000 New Yorkers in some goddamn office buildings. Of course, that's what it is. But Gen Z, now in the context of this war in Gaza, seeing the deaths of innocent children, now they're looking at this letter from Osama bin Laden and being like, you know what? We kind of get extremism now. We get where Osama bin Laden was coming from and we get where Hamas is coming from. That's how bad the PR is going for Israel and the US who are supporting Israel. That's how bad it's going that Gen Z is now thinking, oh, you know what? Maybe Osama bin Laden had a point. It does, it's an incredible transformation. Like Osama bin Laden has managed to rehabilitate his image posthumously without having to go on Dancing with the Stars. If, if he weren't dead, there is a good chance that Osama bin Laden would, off the back of this 
renewed support that he is experiencing on TikTok from Gen Z. There is a chance that Osama bin Laden could be on Dancing with the Stars to rehabilitate his image. There is a chance that he could be on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, alongside Nigel Farage and some radio personality you've never heard of. That's how bad the war is going. That if Osama bin Laden were alive today, he would have a shot at becoming a reality TV star celebrity. That would be his chance to rehabilitate himself. Anyone at this point could rehabilitate themselves. I mean, if Osama bin Laden can win over the, the hearts and minds of Generation Z because this war is going, is going so badly and there's so much human suffering happening in Gaza. If Osama bin Laden can have a renaissance, maybe there's a chance for ISIS. I know that ISIS is not a popular group. I know that most people are anti-ISIS. You know, they, they tried to start a caliphate. They upset a lot of people. They killed a lot of people. They did all these beheadings. Bad stuff. Bad stuff. But if um, I guess my point is that if Osama bin Laden can make a comeback, surely it's not off the cards for ISIS either. Surely ISIS could be like, hey, remember us? We're, you know, we're also terrorists. We're also extremists. And right now we're kind of having a bit of a purple patch out, people. You know, you're seeing all the... Uh, suffering happening in Gaza. You know, there's a lot of support for Hamas because they're now being perceived as freedom fighters for an oppressed people instead of brutal killers and war criminals. They're being seen as good guys. Hey, we're kind of in the same camp. Maybe there's a chance for us to rehabilitate our our image as well. It's just an exciting time to be a terrorist or a cancelled celebrity because really anyone can make a comeback. I mean, I know that Trump is not on par with Osama bin Laden. and He's not on par with ISIS. I'm not saying he's the same as them, but even Trump is like going to be, he's going to win the next election. He's going to become the next president because Joe Biden has 81 candles on his birthday cake. So, Donald Trump is going to become the next president. That's what the polls are saying. The polls are also are showing that in a head-to-head with Biden, he's, he's leading pretty comfortably. And so right now they're going after Trump and claiming that he, he inflated the value of his properties in New York and invaded the value of his uh, Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida in order to obtain favorable business dealings and loans. That's what like the prosecution of Donald Trump has come to. Isn't that... It, it reminds me of how Al Capone, the notorious gangster in America, who was responsible for killing so many people and responsible for pushing so much contraband across borders, he went down on tax evasion, on tax fraud, despite the fact everyone knew that he was a killer, he went down for tax fraud. And I feel like they're trying 
the Al Capone approach to Trump. Trump is a guy who, if you look at his rap sheet, it's pretty hectic. He tries to overthrow an election. He incited an insurrection at the Capitol. He tried to pressure... Remember, he got impeached for pressuring Zelensky years ago before we even knew who Zelensky was. He told Zelensky that the US would only offer military support if they investigated his political opponent, Joe Biden, and Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, at the time. I mean, Trump is so corrupt. He's done so many bad things. He literally tried to overthrow the government. And the only thing they can might be able to get him on is the fact that they said his apartment in New York was not as expensive as it really was. That's incredible. And because they can't get him on anything, and because people have short memories, he can make a comeback. And I really think that's kind of, that's kind of the message of, I think, this episode. You know, I don't, I come into these podcasts with a list of topics that I want to talk about. I want to express my ideas about them. I want to riff about them and see where they go and see if there is some sort of theme or through line that connects all these topics together. And what I'm seeing is that this is an episode about comebacks. Nigel Farage, he's making a comeback. Osama bin Laden, he's made a comeback. Trump, he's the comeback king. The only thing they can do to take him out is, hey, your apartment was only a million dollars and you said it was $3 million. This is an episode about comebacks. That's really what it is. It's beautiful. It's beautiful seeing the through line in all these topics. It does give you hope. It really, it really does. That no matter where you are in your life, you might be having a tough week. I don't know much about the lives of my listeners and I don't propose to know too much about what you're going through in your personal life. But I mean, we all have challenges, family challenges, relationship challenges, work stuff. We all have issues that we're dealing with. We all have problems. And sometimes we feel like they've gotten the best of us. You know, sometimes you go through a breakup and you think there's never going to be anyone else for me. Sometimes you get fired from your job and you think I'm never going to be able to find a new job or you have a failure in your career and you think you're never going to be able to get that opportunity again. Listeners, what I want you to learn from this is that you can make your own comeback. If Osama bin Laden can do it, so can you. Whatever you're going through in your own personal life, Know that at some point in the future, even if you think your reputation has been tarnished amongst your friends, your family, a loved one, your work colleagues, you can have that reputation fixed within a couple of decades, potentially. The same way that Osama bin Laden is now being lionized as a freedom fighter by the 14-year-olds on TikTok who think that skinny jeans are no longer fashionable. So just be aware that there is hope. 
you too can find a way to get back on that horse. Get back on that horse. The last thing I want to talk about is the war on Christmas, guys. We've gone from a real war to a PR war and now back to a real war. It's the war on Christmas. Christmas comes earlier every year. It does come earlier every year, which means the war on Christmas comes earlier every year. And if you tune into Fox News, the war on Christmas, it's, it's the worst it's ever been. Fox News right now is very upset because Target is selling a figurine of a Santa. Now, you might be thinking, great, that's what Target does. They're a store. They sell toys. And leading up to Christmas, they're going to sell some Christmas-related toys in order to shift some units and make some money. Well, the problem with this Santa figurine is that it is black, which is already a red flag for people at Fox News. They don't like the idea of Santa not being white. They, they cannot stand the idea that Santa is not white. They cannot fathom how a fictional character could not be white. They can fathom that a man, once a year, travels around the world with some flying reindeer and in one night manages to deliver presents to all the children around the world by sliding down their chimneys, putting some presents underneath a Christmas tree, drinking some milk, having a cookie, and then moving on to the next home. They can believe that. That is fathomable to them. However, the idea of Santa being black is too much for them. Not only is he black, he's also in a wheelchair. There is a black Santa in a wheelchair, figurine, being sold at Target. And of course, most people see that and they go, oh, okay, great. I'm going to move on with my life. But Fox News thinks, no, I can't move on with my life. No, the people need to hear about this. 50 million people need to be outraged by this. So over the past few days, there's been wall-to-wall coverage on Fox News lamenting and, and expressing shock that there is a black disabled Santa figurine being sold at Target because it's just another example of wokeism. It's another example of when you go woke, you go broke. Even though Target is, of course, one of the most financially profitable businesses in the world. Let's not let that fact get in the way of a fun slogan. We've got a black disabled Santa. Go woke, go broke, war on Christmas, lots of buzzwords. This is how you get people to tune in. The only thing I will say in defense of Fox News here is that I understand that it would actually make more sense for Santa to be white. Only because I think that only a white man could break into people's homes in the middle of the night without having the cops called on him. If Santa were black, he would not be greeted with milk and cookies. He would be greeted with a 12-gauge shotgun. Let's be honest. If Santa were black, the first home that he tried to enter 
in Alabama, the first home he tried to enter in the deep south of America. Let's be honest, the first house he tried to enter, he's going to be shot. That's just going to happen. That's just going to happen. That might be why he's in the wheelchair. It could well have been because an overzealous, racist, white guy with a Confederate flag on his porch thought that Santa was a home intruder coming to kill him. So I guess it kind of makes sense, if you look at it that way, for Santa to be white. That's kind of the only way that he could get away with breaking into all these people's homes and not have the authorities called upon him or not have violence used against him. But I understand white people getting upset by Santa being depicted with a different skin color. And I'll tell you why. Because they see it as just another example of them losing their famous icons. Their famous traditionally white icons are changing and they see it as an attack on their culture as a whole. For example, we saw it last year when the new Little Mermaid movie came out and they lost their minds because she was black and they were like, this makes no sense. How, how can a mermaid be black? This makes no sense. I understand that she, it makes sense that she could be a mermaid. It can make sense that her best friend is a talking crab. That I can get my head around. But there's, it can't, she can't be black. It makes no sense. And so they were upset by that because they saw it as a, a loss of something in their culture. And now it's, you know, it's happening with Santa. Now you see Santas of all different skin colors being depicted in, in stores and on TV. And, and you know, you go, to a mall, you go to a mall now and you sit on Santa's lap and he, the man, he might not be white. He might not be white. They just see this as an erosion of their culture that they're losing their white icons. But if you are a white person and you are upset that you have lost some white icons over the years, like the Little Mermaid and Santa, think about the ones you gained. Let's not forget there was Michael Jackson. You got him. You know, he he went from black to white. You, you didn't hear black people saying that this was unfair, that they were losing one of their icons. No. So if you're white, I'm just saying swings and roundabouts. Sure, you lost a mermaid, but you know, you gained a pedophile. It's it's a trade. It's a trade. That's just how things work. It's of course going to be very upsetting for white people when it's eventually proven scientifically that Jesus wasn't white. Uh, right now everyone just kind of like on a rational level knows that he wasn't white because he was born in the Middle East uh, 2,000 years ago. So we all kind of are like, yeah, he's not white. But then, of course, white people are like, no, but he was the son of God, so he could do magic. So if he wanted to be white with blonde hair and blue eyes, he could do it. If you can turn water into wine, you can turn brown into white. That's just an old Christian saying. So of course, white people are going to cling to the idea that Jesus 
was white. I mean, I think even when scientists, if scientists eventually discover his skeleton and they do, you know, the experiments and they're like, okay, Jesus was technically, you know, a brown guy. Even then, I don't think they're going to believe it. There's nothing you could really do to change these people's minds. And honestly, it's probably for the best. It's probably for the best to let them just continue believing that Jesus was white. I mean, if they're freaking out over a mermaid and they're freaking out over Santa, the son of God, that's too much for them to handle. If We should never tell them the truth about Jesus. In fact, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take all this back. Let's not tell them that Jesus was technically Palestinian. I mean, let's not tell them that. Not now. Not now. I don't think that the conservatives who watch Fox News could handle the image of Jesus in a kefir. I just don't think that they're ready for that. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. But right now, I don't think they're ready to accept that Jesus was as brown as uh, Osama bin Laden probably was. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed today's thoughts. I hope it inspired you to believe in yourself, that you too can make a comeback. If bin Laden can do it, if Trump can do it, you can do it too. You are not as hated and as disliked as Nigel Farage or Trump or Osama bin Laden. It's unlikely. I don't know you personally, but I don't think people hate you as much as those guys. So you should take that as inspiration for yourself to keep going, keep working at whatever it is you're working at because comebacks are possible. If you enjoyed today's episode, you might enjoy seeing me live. I've got a show in Munich next week. First ever show in Munich. That's on the 30th of November. Then I'll be back in a country that knows how to win a world war. I've got a show in London on the 6th of December at Top Secret Comedy Club. Tickets only a pound for that show. You can reserve a seat for one pound, which is, uh, I'll be honest, quite quite. Uh, offensive to me that the tickets that my comedy has been valued at a pound I think it's at least a three pound show so you're getting an absolute bargain for one pound if you're in Western Australia I will be back for the Fringe World Festival in January and February with shows in Perth and Fremantle and if you're in Melbourne I'll be back at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival with a new show in March and April That will be on sale soon. Head to my website and sign up to my mailing list to be the first to hear about that. Or if you're in Perth, Fremantle, Munich, London, you can buy tickets from my website directly, michaelshafer.com. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I will see you next week. Good night.